Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Good morning. Awesome. Hey, let's uh, do this for me. We're going to pray for, for Pastor Chris. He is speaking in Seattle. We get to share him this morning. So he's at church home in Seattle. He's preaching at their morning services. So can you join with me in prayer as uh, we pray for Pastor Chris? God, thank you today that uh, you're ministering there in Seattle, Washington, at church home. I'm grateful for the opportunity that we have as a church to share our pastor and just the uh, the wonderful words that you've put in his heart with that audience. Pray that miracles would take place. Come on, that people would get set free, that the reality of Jesus would be up close and personal. We thank you for strength. Thank you for your energy and just that God endurance in our pastor as well. Miracles in Seattle and miracles in Boise here in Meridian, Idaho, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, hey, glad that you're at church uh, this morning, if you're not aware, and if you just blinked, you realize that we went from summer to fall just like that. And I love it. It's just a whole new wardrobe. Summer's boring. It's t-shirts. Now we get to wear jackets and long sleeves. And come on, your favorite sweatshirt that your wife wants you to throw out. But you're not going to because it's your favorite sweatshirt. That's what makes it your favorite sweatshirt. Because that's the one you're going to wear. Um, I'm, I'm Glad to be in, come on, church this morning, the opportunity to, to share. I know um, God's put a word on my heart, and we had a great 9 o'clock service, and we're going to have a great 11 o'clock service as well. Continue. How about that worship set? Amen? I just love it, man. God is just already. You don't have to wait for the end of the message for, for God to do something in your life. It's happening already right now. Uh, last week, my wife and I, we were at Orange County, and we visited Pastor Mark and Pastor Rochelle and the team down there, and they got into a new building, um, and it was just so exciting to see them from, they went from the interest meetings a year ago to, you know, like dating people, like blind dates. People show up to the coffee shop, and you got to kind of just tell them who you are and cast the vision. And to see them from that to where they're at now as just an incredible church community with just a great team. And Mark and Michelle are just doing a fabulous job. And so today actually marks the year that they're celebrating their one-year anniversary of Ocean's Church there. in yeah, give them a hand. It's awesome in Orange County. So they'll have, they're having some family fly in and be a part of that. But they do. They, we spend about a couple days with them. They send their love to Capitol. Come on, this is the church that they've been sent out of. Their vines over the wall for us there in Orange County. And God's doing a, an amazing thing. And guess what? It had to do with a lot of your prayers and even support. And so I just encourage you, as they're just in that new church stage, and still in that planning season, continue just to pray for them and just believe the best for what God wants to do through their life and ministry as they're reaching, come on, a lot of people that need Jesus. Um, how many enjoyed the message last Sunday? Yeah, those are here? Yeah. I listened to it um, online and tell you what, we are blessed to have the lead pastor that we have and just to be able to... Uh, be, be led uh, spiritually and encouraged and challenged in the word. This isn't a church that we shy away from reading of scripture uh, and the truth of scripture. We know that it brings him on life and it challenges us, but in that challenging, it also, it also grows us. Um, today, I want to talk about, I think, a really important subject called the presence of Jesus. 
Um, how many think that's a very important subject? So today I want to, I want to talk about the everyday presence of God. And the, the big idea that it, I'm going to lead with and then I'll end with is uh, learning how to be close and stay close. I think this is so, so, so important, especially when you read scripture and you realize that in the opening chapters of Genesis chapter one and two, that the entire framework of God was uh, in, in, in creation and everything that's in play was designed for you and I. Like the whole world and creation was designed with you and I in, in thought, meaning we were born, created to live in the very presence of, of God. Um, but how many know that sometimes that's sometimes easier said than done? And I say that because there's always a problem that typically arises within our life. And for many, it's distraction. For many, it's, it's setting our attention on the wrong things. And what happens is instead of being a people that live within the presence of God on a regular basis, we almost address it like it's the exception rather than the, the rule. So Sunday, right, it's, it's an exception when you experience maybe um, a healing power or uh, someone's praying next to you and you just get this sense that there's something greater in the room other than yourself. You get this overwhelming sense that God is at work within in your life. Uh, there's a worship set. You, I mean, maybe you have this worship at your home. I mean, that'd be awesome if you could bring this whole band and they wake you up on Monday. They see you stirring and they just go in that first chord and then I mean, that'd be awesome. We, we can't do that, right? But we can create the worship experience in our homes. We can create it throughout the course of the week and the day. But too many times, because our focus is on other things, many, many things being the external things we'll talk about for a moment, uh, it gets us away from actually living within the framework that God has designed for us. We live kind of on the outside. We live, we, we live waiting for the next experience, not realizing that it's something that we can participate in every single moment of our lives. So today, and I'm going to save time at the end, I'm going to give us seven points that we're going to work on this week, all about staying close and st- or, or getting close and staying close when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Awesome. You're in a, a great spot in this place. Because what I'd encourage you to do is not to tone me out or tune me out, but in just the next few moments, just keep an open heart. Uh, what is it that maybe uh, you came in looking for? Uh, I, I believe that God is a God of surprise. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but uh, you've been distracted with many things. I want this to be a moment in this window that we have uh, for God just to challenge you right where you're at and just see, just see if he can speak to you in a way that makes perfect sense, gets your attention and miracles are at work and you start to realize them in your own hearts, in your own lives. Our, our goal, not our goal, but our purpose is to, to walk with, I love it, with God who's made himself very personable. Uh, I, it's, it's a silly illustration, but my son plays football and he plays for a junior high team and I made myself of some value to the team by taking out my phone and recording every play. So I'll be on the sidelines, I'm weaving in and out of parents and getting every play. And then what I decided to do is I decided to send that to the coach. And so I sent it to the coach, take it or leave it, right coach? 
he takes it, and I get a I get a text the next day. Thank you for that. Very valuable. Would you mind doing that again? I'm like, absolutely. So, both last season and this season, uh, I just designate, designated myself as the film guy, and so I will film every play, and then I will send it. Well, last week uh, we were at a field that's uh, the sidelines where the crowd sits was on the other side of the track, and there's a fence in the way that you basically look through, and you're in your bleachers, and I thought, you know, I'm not, I don't want to impose, so I'm just going to, I'll just stand on the fence line and record from the fence line, and so I was there early, ready to go, battery on the phone, fully charged, because that's important. You don't want to pull your iPhone out, and it's just the red dot, then you're, you're useless to everybody, so I make sure it's fully charged. I'm in position, which I thought was position, until I look over, and I see both coaches are like, And then I'm like, and they're like, so then I walk out, and I'm by the field, and they're like, listen, we talked to the AD. We, you need to be on the sideline with us. Getting these, this, this footage is very important. Well, of course. So now I'm on the, the sideline. I feel the parents behind me judging me. Well, I have a phone, too. You know, it's like he didn't even have a pass. You know, there's no badge on him. What makes him able to get close with all the players and the coach? You know, I, I felt that. However, I just, I, I owned it. And the picture, it, it's a funny picture, but I think that's oftentimes how we kind of encounter our role in relationship with God and his kingdom. He's invited us. He's already given us, like, the, the permission to, to be close and to stay close. So we're close once. But then we drift for some reason. There's distance that sets in. And I feel like this is the picture that God gives us. Like, and then you're like, he's like. But what happens is we, we view this Christian experience as an exception, not a rule. When God says, no, I've designed all of heaven and earth with you in mind. I don't want you to view this from a distance, but this whole God thing, this whole creation thing, this whole following Jesus thing is an up close and personal experience. It's not, a, it's not an academic lesson. It's not just another subject. It, your whole life is centered on being close and being near Jesus. Last week, I think anxiety was addressed, that nasty, nasty thing. I thought about it. It's amazing. People give energy, and they believe that anxiety is real, and it is. But guess what? You can't see it. We give, we give position and place to fear. You can't see fear, but you know it's real. It affects you. But then you get to the Jesus subject. Yeah, you, you can't see Jesus in the flesh right now. But why do we credit some things and discredit other things just because we can't see them? I'll tell you why. It's because we're conditioned that way as a culture. Our cultural condition right now or the cultural moment that we're living in right now is one that, number one, we're a culture led by feelings. It's become the navigational system that, that we've selected. It's like Michael Scott driving down the car. The directions tell him to turn right. He turns right and lands in a pond. There was no road to turn, but he listened to the navigational system tell him to turn right. He turns right and drives a perfectly, uh, perfectly uh, mechanically sound vehicle into a pond. We do the same thing when we choose to allow feelings, which are important, 
which are a part of us, but they're not to be the lead component of our life. When we follow them, they end up taking us to places that we weren't meant to be. And we live in these anxious, fearful, confused places because we're spending so much energy and time chasing feelings. Can I just tell you this? Sometimes following Jesus doesn't feel well. Oftentimes, it's challenging. Just like anytime you work out. Come on, when have you ever got in your car and said, man, that workout felt great. I feel nothing. What a great workout. You didn't work out. You just showed up. The best workouts are when you work out and you hop in your old truck and you have to push your clutch in and pull it down to second. And you feel it in your forearms and your legs and your whole body's shaking. It doesn't feel good, but you realize you got a good workout in. The point is this. We live so much of our lives based on feelings. So we make moral decisions based on what feels right or it doesn't. And that gets on you whether you realize it or not. How the, how the culture is, the condition of the, the state of the culture gets on us without even realizing it. We bring it into family. We bring it into everyday decisions and lives. Number two, not only feeling led, we're, we're really materialistic. Like we're, we're highly materialistic. We, we chase the next thing. We chase um, having, having it all. Uh, we, we, we want uh, success. We want financial stability. We want and acquire uh, item after item, thing after thing as a way of bringing a fulfillment to our lives. But the story is, it's just, it's, it's cyclical because it happens all the time throughout the entire world, throughout entire generations that people get all that they want and realize there's still massive voids within their heart. That all that they've acquired didn't bring what? Satisfaction to their lives. And so we chase materialism. Uh, they, they've run studies. UCLA runs a study every year on incoming freshmen. And this goes back to the 60s. And in the 60s, they asked incoming freshmen, uh, what essentially are you getting out of uh, your studies? What's your pursuit? What's your goal? What do you value? And a majority of them says their value is uh, in their philosophy. They want a healthy philosophy on life. Uh, and the, at the, the average, even below average, 40% says they're in it for financial stability and wealth and so forth. Well, you transfer throughout the course of the decades, and you go in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, now it has nothing to do with about a balanced, healthy philosophy and has everything to do with that financial stability to present tense, where the main reason why people go to pursue their education is the hope of being financially well-off and suited. Now, wealth is okay. Wealth is fine until it's your everything. See, when it becomes your everything and that becomes the focus, man, it, it leads you in the opposite direction of what Jesus is doing and who he is. So we're feeling led. We're materially driven. Uh, and then thirdly, we're highly individualistic, meaning, and Pastor Chris talked about this last week, we're, we're, we're socially isolated. Generation Z, and it supports this data that it's the loneliest generation on the planet. Check this out, though. It's the most connected generation on the planet, but it's the loneliest generation on the planet. And they've run studies. In the 1950s, it was, it was not unheard of to have five to seven lifelong friends. Today, you're, you're lucky if you get one lifelong friend. What does it prove? It proves that we've isolated ourselves into a place that just involves me. 
uh, and doesn't, doesn't open our life up to others in healthy community. And so we've rejected community. We're, we're quick on the garage door opener. That, that thing shuts as soon as the car gets in the garage. We get inside, the blinds are down, and we isolate ourselves from neighbors and people around us. We rarely go to church. It's kind of a every once in a while thing. We rarely really uh, let ourselves be vulnerable and open ourselves up to people who could actually have a say and help in our life and walk with this, not just for a moment, but for a lifetime. And this is kind of what we are as a culture. I think the best way to describe being affected by a cultural condition is sometimes I'll go down an aisle in a grocery store and then I'll get in the car and my wife's like, did you eat garlic? I'm like, in the store? I, no, I, I did not eat garlic. But then I realized I walked past it. She's like, well, it's on you. Have you been there? You've been in a restaurant and you walk out smelling like the restaurant in your car? You're like, I got to burn these clothes now? What happened? Well, you were just around it, and guess what? You could do nothing about it. It got on you. And I think this happens with our, the culture at times, the condition that we're in. It gets on us. Without knowing it, we realize we're more feeling-led than faith-led. We're more into material than we are to generosity and care of others. We're, we've individualized. We've isolated ourselves from others as opposed to being open and being reaching and caring and uh, working together as a community. And then fourthly, what happened, what we are as a culture, uh, we're a culture that is high, we're highly apathetic, which means that we're poorly empathetic. We, we don't have what generations in the past had, the ability to care for and discern and feel what other people are going through and what they're encountering. All that, my friend, is a recipe for high levels of hopelessness, high levels of anxiety, high levels of stress. You open the door to fear. This is the culture that we're in. It's so bad that our language has changed as a culture. And you might not know this, but Google, can, they do scans of books and publication that go back for decades. And what they've, what they've realized is they realize there's been a decline in certain words. Words like commonwealth, words like community, words like character and integrity, uh, words like love and grace, those have been on a decline. What's been on an incline is words that involve me and self. And so it's, it's changed our culture. So it's no wonder, hear me now, that we approach lies sometimes, even in those that are, are Christians this morning, followers of Jesus, we're influenced by all these other things that aren't God things. It's not the way of Jesus. And then we wonder, why are we so distant? It's because we've given too much attention to these eternal things, or external things that are leading us away from the purpose and the mission that God has us today. But I got good news. We're just not going to stay there. That would be a depressing sermon if I closed in prayer and said, good luck. <laughs> We're not going to do that. When you look at... Um, the passage today, I'm going to have us look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, it's, it's about a character. His name's Peter, Simon Peter. And guess what? You relate to him more than you want to relate to him. So do I. And, and let's read. It says this. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. So Jesus is speaking to the crowds. He uses, once again, Simon Peter's boat as this floating pulpit. I mentioned this before. Crowds were pressing on Jesus. But I love the fact that he had intentionality when he encountered Simon. It says, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've, we've told all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. 
And when he had done this, he enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, those who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, he said, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything. And what they do? They followed him. I love this because this is all about Jesus making his way into Simon Peter's space. He crowds Simon Peter's space. He, he just so happens to enter into Simon's world. It's this carpenter who's giving a fisherman advice on where to get fish. Come on, right? He says, uh, have you, basically gives advice and the response is, we've, we've been doing this all night. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that we've been doing this all night. But nevertheless, at your word, because I recognize that you're a man of authority. You speak, people seem to listen. Uh, why else would the crowds be here? So we're going to try it out. They try it out, and the reality is such that it begins to rip nets and almost sink boats. Simon himself couldn't bring in the whole of fish. He had to have his partners join him, and they brought it in together. And then Simon Peter, he's undone. He says he falls at the knees of Jesus, thinking, man, I, I'm in the midst of, of some greatness here. What is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is, in a way, he's just introducing himself to Simon Peter. And not just introducing himself to Simon Peter. He's showing, and it starts there. It starts here, but then it progresses throughout the gospel. He's showing that Simon Peter was designed to live really close to Jesus, like right next to him. And he says, what you've been fishing, your vocation, I'm going to turn that into your ministry. And how that's going to happen is you're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to be close to where I am. Note this, that Simon Peter was somewhat in his right mind when he was near Jesus. When he was close to Jesus, he thought in a healthy way. His confession was somewhat clear, strong, faith-filled. There's those moments. But you see that the closer that he was to Jesus and the more he stayed in that place of relationship, the healthier he was spiritually, you name it. Um, it's, it's when he, he drifted that he got into trouble. When you look at Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked a question to the disciples there's public opinion. What is it that the people are saying about who I am as an individual? He knows it. He hears it. I think the test is for the disciples. What do you think I am? Do you know who I am? And so they begin to answer, answer that question. They said, well, you're, you're like Elijah of old, some people say. You're like Jeremiah. You're these prophets. Notice, I love this, that none of them said, oh, you're this just, just poetic, soft, gentle uh, kind, passive teacher of the law. None of them said that. 
They compared him to like Old Testament prophets, meaning what? Meaning that when Jesus spoke, he spoke with truth and authority. But the difference between him and the other prophets is he had this other side to him that was unmatched. It was his kindness and his mercy. So his kindness and his mercy spoke to the audience, the crowds, with truth and authority. And no wonder they followed him around all over the countryside. So who do people say I am? That's what they say I am? Okay, then attention's direct to Peter. Peter, who do you say I am? You've been with me now for quite a while. Who is it that I am? And Peter has this remarkable response. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Simon, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. I mean, you didn't get that from what people were saying. You got that from the Father in heaven, meaning your heart, your mind, your spirit was opened up to the, the, the witness and the miracle and the secrets of heaven, and they were revealed to you, and out of your mouth, man, you spoke the right thing. What is Peter saying when he says, you are the Son of God? What he's not saying, he's not saying that you're just some good teacher. You're someone who's, when I'm around you, I just feel better about myself. When I'm around you, I just feel like I can take on the world. When I'm around you, I just feel like there's just... You know, there's, there's options that just are waiting for me to unpack. No, what he's saying is you're more than that. When I'm around you, I have this overwhelming reality that the maker of the heaven and the earth, the maker of the moon and the stars, the maker of all creation, the one who wrote out this entire framework of life is right here with me. You're just not some teacher. You're not some man, but you're the, you're the God man made flesh, and you're living, breathing, moving, and you're the one who stepped foot on my boat, and you told me where to fish, and you almost sunk us with blessing, with profit, and then you called me to follow you. I was on the fence. You pointed to me, and you're like, right here. That's who you are, and that's when she says, good job. Woo! You're learning something. Something's setting in. But I want you to notice that anytime there was distance, Peter goes from having that brilliant encounter, that revelation, the heart-opening truth, to anytime there's distance, notice, and you can read through Scripture, Jesus would go off, it says, the stones throw away to pray. He would pray in the garden. He always set the example of what it was to spend time in the presence of the Father. And he would pray. And as he prayed, what's he getting? He's getting instruction from heaven itself. He's being, as the, on the, 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 the man side of Christ, he's being encouraged and strengthened and edified. Well, when the disciples wake up, because they're in the school of Jesus, they're following Jesus, Guess who's not there? Jesus is not there. Why? Because he's praying. They don't know that. So they wake up panicked. And they're like, where'd he go? And so you read it. They, they rush around. And they're like, oh, they find him around the corner. They're, there you are. We thought you left us. We, for a minute there, you know, you told us to be near. You told us to follow you. And we did that. But we slept. We woke up. And you were gone. Some of the guys were panicking. This is Peter again. He's like, I, I wasn't. I was kind of put together. I knew where you at. I just wanted to. Now, I just want to encourage them. And there's this panic moment. But he also does it at the time that Jesus is on his way to the cross. And during this time, Jesus is always on his way to the cross. That's his mission. And finally, it took a while, but Peter's beginning to understand this, that uh, this is just more than just dwelling, indwelling, and being in the presence of Jesus. It's not stagnant. We're actually going somewhere. And we see that in Luke chapter 22, in Luke chapter 22, it says, that, and speaking of Jesus, Luke 22, verse 54 and 57 says, and they seized him. This is speaking of Jesus as he's on his way to the cross. It says, and they, they led him away 
bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So Jesus is taken from Peter. He's taken into captivity. Now, instead of Peter being closed, it says he's following at a distance. And then it says they kindled a fire, and then he sits down at this fire. And as he sits down in this courtyard, there was a servant girl there seeing him. As he sat in the light and looking closely at him, she said, oh, this man also was with him. So she eyes, she notices Peter. But Peter denies it and says, woman, I don't know him. So what we see is when Peter is near, he has this brilliant revelation of who God is. He's strong in his faith. Anxious thoughts, fear, phobias, all those things, they're just, they're just, they're not even a memory. They're just, they're out this way. It's something that's just been uh, not even in main focus. But it's funny that when he gets distance between them, what used to be out of focus now like starts to come into focus. And he finds himself sitting at this fire, and a little girl recognizes him as being one of the, one of the boys that follows Jesus, part of that, that, that school, part of that ministry, part of that discipleship. He says, wait a minute, you're one of them. And Peter's like, woman, I don't know what you're talking about. He denies, he's fearful, he's scared of being spotted. When you look about the creation narrative in chapters 1 and 2, you realize our life was designed to live within the framework of God. But what happens is sin enters, the whole planet gets screwed up, and in chapters 3, 4, and following, we see that something radically happens and shifts once you get outside the presence, which represented there in the garden. What happens? Well, the first thing that happened was domestic violence. There's disputes. There's jealousy. And so one brother kills another brother. So homicide's like one of the first thing that happens outside of being in the presence of God. Meaning what? When you get distance from Jesus and his presence, what happens? Crazy happens. Like you, we start thinking in crazy ways. We start viewing life in a way that we aren't supposed to view life. We're, we're miscued. There's confusion. And Jesus says, the reason why I want you to be close is so that you can see rightly. And in seeing rightly, you can live rightly. The problem is because we're not close, we're not seeing what we're supposed to see. And so it's no wonder we're living the way that we're living within our culture. And we can't, it's, it's, it's on us. It's on them. It's it's on everybody. But the hope is this, that the story doesn't end with Peter. I love the fact that God goes full circle for your life and for my life. How does he go full circle? And I'll share it right here. And we've been on this chapter for a while now as a church, and we're not, we're not going to move away from it. It's going to be, it's bedrock to Capital Church, and that's John chapter 21. How he goes full circle is right here. We see that Peter... He denies Christ three times. We see in John 21, it's a post-resurrection chapter, meaning Jesus has already revealed himself uh, to disciples, to people within, in, in the area. Uh, so he's been spotted. There's eyewitness account that Christ didn't stay dead, that, that the cross didn't hold him, the grave didn't contain him, but he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he's on the move again. Hello, Aslan, right? And we see that he is he's now countryside. He's in Luke, John 21. John 21 is very familiar with Luke chapter 5. Why? Because it's the exact same setting. The Sea of Galilee is where Jesus is 
invade the space of Simon and the others. He's the one who approaches their life and their sphere and their circle to call them from what they were doing and puts them on a new mission of what will be fulfilled through the ministry of Christ. We see in John chapter 21, it's the same sea, the Sea of Galilee. And what do you see again on the Sea of Galilee? You see another fishing story. Same characters. And what we see is we see Peter is with his boys and they're fishing again one morning. And it's John who hears a familiar voice on the shoreline that's once again given instruction for these fishermen to put their nets on the other side of the boat. And they do it. And what happens? They start bringing in a haul of fish. 153 exact, John counts. What happens? Well, John's like, wait a minute. That's Jesus. Peter's like, you've got to be kidding me. That's Jesus. He believes it so much, he doesn't even wait for the boat to row itself in. And says he puts on his outer garment, he jumps into the water, and he swims to the shore. And who is at the shore? It is the king of the universe, Jesus himself there. And what's he doing? He has made a fire, and he's making breakfast for his disciples. The disciples come in with the fish. They break bread. They have their breakfast, and Jesus begins to talk to him, and specifically, he turns to Simon Peter, and as you just picture the, the breakfast setting, it's quiet, it's awkward, because no one wants to vocalize that this is Christ. They're like, the scripture records it, they just know it. Peter knows it. What was Peter experiencing when he was on the boat? I guarantee you, when Peter was fishing that morning, and leading up to that day, after that third encounter of denying Christ, that season of time was a season of time of despair, of shame, of hopelessness, of regret. He was looking through all the decisions he made thinking, I've screwed my life up entirely. Everything that was going good for me in that one moment, I've just destroyed because I didn't have the courage to stand up for Jesus. I denied him three times. I denied him to a girl for crying out loud. She didn't have, she wasn't physically dominating. She was just pointing me out. And even in that pointing me out, I was just scared. He lived with fear. That morning he was fishing with shame and regret and high levels of anxiety. He was panicking, panicking. And then he hears a familiar voice, just like he wasn't the one who set up the encounter with Jesus. Jesus steps into his space I love the fact that God goes full circle, not only with his life, but also with my life. Come on, with your life. I don't know your story, but I do know this, the God we serve goes full circle for you. Meaning you can't do anything to disrupt his purpose from being done within your life. You can't forfeit, uh, even through bad decisions, even through regretful decisions, you cannot forfeit the plans and strategies of God. It might not make sense to you. You might not be able to figure out, line it up. But that's not for you to figure out and line up. Our job is to say, God, if you called me to be near, if you pointed at me, if you waved me and you've proved it, by dying on the cross to bridge that gap where there was separation, then I'm going to live it fully. I'm just not going to know the presence of God as an exception, but I'm allowed to be the rule of my life every single day of my You do that, and you just see how and what ways God uses you to grow and influence the kingdom of God in your circle of influence. And here's Peter. He's sitting down at this quiet breakfast. It would be, it's like my nightmare. I have to have talking during food eating because just to hear the sound of food being consumed, it's, it's a panic moment for me. But then God gave me two kids, and they eat cereal louder than anybody, and so it's also kind of cured. 
point is, here he is. He's having breakfast, and he looks to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. He goes, okay, feed my sheep. Okay. Quiet breakfast again. Here, you know, biscuits, fish, you know, being chewed on, whatever. Peter, do you love me? Peter's got to be thinking, man, I, I, I know he heard me the first time. But Lord, you, you know I love you. And then Jesus does it a third time. Peter, do you love me? Because, Lord, you, you know I love you. What's Jesus doing? I think at every variable that Peter went through, Jesus is meeting him at those moments of failure. How do I know that? Well, because I know he goes from similar setting, same setting to same setting. It's the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of Galilee. When he encountered Peter to when he recovers and restores Peter. Same boats, same nets, same body of water, same miracle. What they couldn't do, Jesus shows, I can do it through you. Watch this. Not only that, where does Peter find himself in Luke chapter 22? He finds himself at a strange fire. He finds himself at a fire he didn't make. He says he was distanced from Jesus. He sat down at a fire they made. He was trying to hide. And it was at that fire that the little girl pointed him out, oh, you're one of them. And he runs from that fire. What does he do before the rooster crows? He denies Jesus three times. What do you see on this show? I love this, Sea of Galilee, John chapter 20. Please read it over and over again. Let it speak to you. We see that Jesus works a miracle again, showing that he's recovering Peter, not just back to a good spot, but to a right spot. You were born to be right here. He then introduces him, and Jesus does it. Jesus just gets done dying on a cross. I don't know if you know about this. Uh, he goes to hell, defeats death, hell, and the grave, gets the keys of the kingdom, and then he shows up on the Sea of Galilee to make a fire and cook some breakfast for disciples. And you question if God loves you? Stop it. That story right there proves it does. He takes on the role of host. I love you so much, I'm going to make you the right fire you're supposed to be at. See, Peter is at the wrong fire, and I think too many times the reason why we get off is because we're at the wrong fire. We're in the wrong community that's not pointing to Jesus, but it's pointing to fear and all these other things. And Jesus says, no, I've made a place for you. It's this community. You're going to dwell in it, and here you go. We're going to restore what you confessed when you said you don't know me. I'm going to make sure you hear it yourself, and we're going to restore it. You're going to say it three times. For every denial, you're going to confess that you love me. And I'm going to prove to you that I've destined and created your life with meaning and significance, and you're going to live the rest of your life out. What? Fulfilling the purpose and the achievements of God. See, they had a cultural condition as well. So there was these cultural moments then that influenced them without being aware. And what is Jesus doing? He's cutting through it all. He's breaking down, uh, and he's shining light on those deceptive mindsets and areas. And he's bringing these young men and these young disciples, both men and women, to a place where they can fully live out with certainty that God is for them and that he has specific mission and strategy for their life. It's true then. It's true today. I'm going to leave you with these seven things. And this is what I hope we can apply this week. So how do you get close and how do you stay close? How do you come off the fence line and you're right on the field with Jesus and what he's doing? Number one, you ready for this? You're going to like some of these. You're not just going to preface it. You're not going to like all of them. Number one is you have to surrender. Surrender to what? Surrender your life to God. When this miracle happened, when Jesus encounters Peter, it says that Peter's response is he fell at the knees of Jesus. And what's he doing? He's repenting. He's saying, I am undone. I'm not worthy. I love the fact that Jesus didn't 
um, brush him off his leg and said, you're right about that. Lucky for you, I'm here. No, he didn't even, his addressing it is a commissioning. He repents. I love the fact that Jesus says, now I'm making you. Don't be afraid. Now I'm making you from a fisherman, from a fisherman to a fisher of men. Gives him place, gives him position, gives him authority in the kingdom of God. But it starts with this humble heart that says, God, I surrender to you. I think too many times, hear me now, we, we view repentance and surrendering as like, a, like an annual thing. Or like when life really gets bad or when we really screw up. Can I be honest with you that repentance is a spiritual discipline that should be engaged every day. And depending on how bad you drive, depends on how many times you should engage it every day. Right? Depending on your decisions that you make. Like, this is the, the place that God's given us. He's given this place where you can, you can lay it all before God. He didn't reject you. He welcomes you. He's after the broken hearts. He's after that humble spirit. A person who's prideful is not going to admit that they're wrong, or they're not going to even surrender. But a person who wants to walk in the blessings of God, in the fulfillment of God, it starts with that door has to be open of, God, I surrender my whole heart to you. Number two, you got to present yourself to God. you got to show up to work. Like, you got to show up in the morning and say, God, I am here, ready to go. Life kind of stinks right now. You know it, been going through it. Feels like everyone's against me, but guess what? I've made a decision based on your word that I'm going to present my life to you. Why? Because I'm, I'm confident. I did what the preacher said. I read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and I realized that the whole world was created with us in mind. That you make covenant with us that you don't break, that you keep to the very end. And if you can do that, then no matter what I feel, I can trust that your word is for me and you're gonna get me to where I'm supposed to go and you're gonna work through me what I'm supposed to, to do for your pleasure, for your, your glory. So you have to do it. Can you imagine next Sunday what would happen if we do these seven things? If even today we say, God, even now, we're gonna have a worship song in a moment. You say, God, I surrender everything to you. God, I present myself to you, everything about me. Lord, this, this life, it's, it's about you. I don't, I've done it by myself far too long. I tried to fight against it far too long. It's, it's for you. And the third thing that we can do, actually, let me read Romans 6, 13. You've already probably seen it on the screen, but do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself, Paul says, to God as those alive from the dead and your members of instruments of righteousness to God. So present your life to God. Point over here, we have baptism, post-baptism. Like you've you've come up out of the waters, which leads us into this next point. You've come out of the waters. You're, you're giving your whole life to God in that place of restoration, place of spiritual transformation, which leads us to this third thing. Not only do we surrender to God and present our life to God, but we have to embrace the process. This one you're not going to like because it's, it's the process of dying. What does the scripture say? You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you or I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. Do you realize that God's, one of his means of his names is the unchanging one? So what does that mean when you're around him? It means someone has to change. And he already gave you a little hint. He's the unchanging one. So I, it gets me all the time. God, I thought, you know, maybe you're going to kind of bend that way. He's like, nah, who am I? So that means if this relationship is to work out, it means I got to change. Absolutely. God gives us the grace to change. 
been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me uh, and he gave himself up for me. So he's not asking us to do something he's not already done. He's done it. Fourthly, so we surrender to God. We present ourselves to God. We embrace the process of dying. Number four, we leave the past. I'm grateful, and this is a picture I've always had, is driving down the road. I love the fact I got a big windshield, and then I have a rearview mirror. Someone who lives in the past is someone who focuses all their energy on that rearview mirror. You know what's going to happen? You're going to run into stuff in front of you and on the side of you. God's not designed us to live in the past looking backwards. Dangerous. Try and run the 40 like this and see if you even stay on the track. Just try and jog. Try and walk looking back. I think so many times as followers of Jesus, we're like following Jesus, but I don't know why it's not working out. It's because... I mean, so many things are happening to me. It's like, well, maybe you're looking the wrong way. Maybe start reimagining Scripture. How do you look? Well, look at Scripture. Let, let Scripture read you. Let that get in you. Uh, and you realize that your past is not as loud and it's not as, uh, a, as a reality as your future and what God is saying and doing in and through your life. The fifth thing, ready, is this. You can read that. Fifth thing is wait patiently. Aha. See, I knew you wouldn't like wait patiently or die to the pro- or embrace the dying process. But wait patiently. Waiting, let me encourage you, is not wasting. It's not static. It's not just just living in like this just neutral state. No. Waiting is working. And when you wait, when you look at scripture, really where you're waiting, do you want to see the waiting room? I'll I'll tell you where you're at. The waiting room is in between the greatness of God and the faithfulness of God. That's right where your story is at. Whether you feel like it or not is not the issue. The reality is that even with your feelings and mixed emotions, you really are right in the middle of God's greatness and his faithfulness. Because he's not a God that he should lie. No, he's the son of God who proves his word over and over and over again. And the words assigned to your life and my life, they actually have life-shaping power and they accomplish what they've been sent to do. So in the process of the time that it takes for those promises to be developed and come on display, you simply say, God, I'm waiting with hope. I'm waiting with faith. I'm waiting not in a state of worry because your word says it and you're not a God who should lie. Thank you that there's a confidence to wait. And as I wait, you're growing and building and doing and shaping things in my life, getting me ready and others ready and the circumstance ready for what's to come, which brings you glory. The sixth thing is this. I'm almost done. The sixth thing is ask God for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Ask God for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, we see that Paul, he, he, he challenges this. He prays for, for different churches. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, the church there, the, the, the Christians are there in this letter. He says, for this reason also, since the day that we've heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Challenge you just to read the whole chapter, this prayer. But when you're going through it, instead of just trying to figure it out on your own, maybe realize that it's bigger than you. And realize that you have access. And you don't have to shout from a distance, but the God you serve is a God who's close and accessible. And all you have to do is say, God, give me wisdom and understanding in this area. And I don't know how to navigate this. I don't know, man, this is bigger than me. You'll be surprised, pleasantly surprised, how God will give you the insight and instruction at the right time and the right way that's needed. Number seven, lastly, 
is rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. This says Acts chapter 1. Uh, we read Acts chapter 1. It says that, get to it. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will at this time you restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time of the season the Father is fixed on his own authority. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes up on you. You be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love it. Jesus probably not shake his head. He's like, guys, about ready to ascend here, and you're worried about things you shouldn't be worried about, times and seasons. No, that's for the Father in heaven to set up. Your responsibility and your focus should be on the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. You wait for the Holy Spirit, and guess what's going to happen? He's going to fill you with dudamous power. Power not to feel better about yourself, not just be a better person, not be all you can be. No, but power, life-shaping, transformative power so that you could be my witness of the kingdom of heaven here on earth to the community and the world around you. That, disciples, is what you're to focus on. So for the next seven days, I just challenge you. Take them, start tomorrow, and try to take on all seven. But that might be too much. So today, start on the one, one of them. Today, being the first day of the week, start on this. Just focus all day long on what does it mean for you to surrender your life completely to Jesus. Not what it means to your neighbor, not what it means to your family member, but what does it mean for you? What haven't you done that God's asking you to do? Peter says, I've left everything and I'm following you. But then we see in Luke 21 that, ah, not the case. He picked everything back up and went back to the old way. Jesus says, listen, I've taken the boats and the nets. That's not for you any longer. You have another mission. And then he realizes, oh, that's what it means to completely surrender. So what is it that maybe God's asking you to do? We're going to go into this worship song. Pastor Mark's going to come up and close. And uh, my prayer is this this morning, that uh, if you're needing to surrender today, uh, surrender today. If, if life has been lived at a distance, and your relationship to Christ, you can you identify that's been at a distance, uh, stop it. Don't, don't play that distance game. Get as close as you can. Um, watch what God can do in a moment when you say, God, I just, it's all about being near you and staying near you. Watch where God will lead you. Watch what he'll work through, even the snares of life that don't make sense for you right now. Can I pray for you? We'll go into this worship song. And as we, as I say, man, they're going to start singing this song. I'd like you to stand up and make this chorus just a, a chorus of God, I surrender. God, I present myself. God, I embrace the process. God, I'm, I'm asking for wisdom and understanding. Go through those seven things. So, Father, I thank you today. Lord, you're God who is near. You're God who's called us near. Uh, today, we're asking that uh, you would go to work in the life of every one of us here in some way. Uh, thank you, God, that you go full circle for our life. Uh, you work even in our areas of, man, uh, ambiguity and confusion you work and you bring clarity to thank you god that you invade our space uh with the the understanding that's uh, your desires that we be near you be close to you and walk with you lord let the word of life if we read scripture this week lord let it just come alive to us on a, on a whole new new realm and way things that we've been holding on to that aren't ours to hold on to we let them go things that we've been worrying about and uh, just kind of uh, being anxious over and fearful of. Well, I pray today we make a decision just to let that go. And as we stand here as a church community today, Lord, if there's, if there's any among us that don't know you, Jesus, Lord, I'm asking today, even during this song, that they would just say, God, I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. Uh, thank you that you've called me to be near. Thank you that you've called me to walk in relationship with you. Lord, let all of our testimonies as we leave this building 
this morning be a testimony that we've been found, we've been rescued, we've been loved, and we're, we've been called into position and function to walk and work with Jesus in the kingdom of God. We love you and we praise you. Let's worship just for a moment. Thank you.